Well, good morning, Veritas. You're probably looking at me and being like, well, I haven't seen this face on stage ever. <laughs> so, um, guys, I hope you enjoyed your weekend. I hope your 4th of July worked out well for you. I hope you had a good time. Uh, I had the privilege this weekend to actually just labor over the word that I'm going to bring to you today that God has in store for us. But let's get to know each other a little bit. Okay, I'm Zach Rao. Um, there's two really important things you need to know about me. Number one, uh, I was a sophomore in high school once upon a time, and Jesus radically changed my life. I uh, went from having a life that didn't really have a ton of purpose to a life that now is incredibly filled with purpose. The second thing you need to know about me is that I'm married to Shay Rao, right over here, formerly known as Haverkamp, which if you know what that last name means, means I either pulled the greatest heist in history or God is just really good to me. I'm going to go with the second one because I, I probably couldn't have done it on my own. In fact, I tried. It didn't work out. <laughs> We've been married for one year, two months, and one day today, and that's a pretty easy day to remember just because we got married on May 4th, so everyone's like, May the 4th be with you. Yeah, whatever. Okay, <laughs> I've been coming to Veritas since the summer of 2015, just before I started my freshman year. Um, at the college at the University of Iowa. I've been working for Veritas as an intern since the fall of 2017 where I started working with international students on campus, uh, sharing the gospel with students from all over the world. Had a great time and then after I graduated in the May of 2019, I had the opportunity to jump on full-time staff here with Salt Company um, and continue to bring the word to college students uh, at Salt Company but also to international students from all over the world here at the University of Iowa. Um, so I'm, I'm just excited to be here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking through my notes. It's kind of, I write it all paragraph out. Not that that means anything, but I'm excited to be here because I've had the privilege of like getting the word fed to me week in and week out here at Veritas for the past five, six years. And now I have like the opportunity to kind of be the next in line, I guess, in that way and kind of bring you guys the word as I've enjoyed it being brought to me in this church context. And my prayer for all of us today is that we would just enjoy having the word brought to us once again, even though it's from an unfamiliar face. So yeah, I've been around for a while as a student. I've kind of gotten to see what Veritas is all about. I've stuck around. Um, but maybe some of you are new today. Maybe this is your first church service. Maybe you're watching on the live stream and you're trying to just figure out what's this, what's this church all about? What are we going to say? What are we going to do? Um, and we have this question that we all need to ask ourselves. And this is the qu same question that I asked myself when I rolled in as Joe Freshman uh, in, the, in this fall of 2015. I, I asked this. I said, is Veritas Church a church we should go to? Or is, is Veritas a church that I should go to? And if so, why? And I, I think that is a healthy question. Like, we need to be somewhat like conscientious or, or like a, there's a healthy amount of skepticism or criticism when it comes to knowing um, if this church is actually the right church for me or if it's the right church for you. But it has to be filtered in the right way. Because we all have our preferences. Like we want worship a certain way. We want ministry structured a certain way. We want our pastors to speak a certain way. We want preaching to be in a certain way. But as we can see today in 1 John 2, 18 through 27, God actually has a preference on what kind of church we ought to be. So if you would open your Bibles with me there, go ahead and go to 1 John 2, 18 through 27. It starts with this. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, 
so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you, you have been anointed by the Holy One. You all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. Because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father as well. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he's made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you've received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, like especially a 23-year-old that just graduated college, right? But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught to you, abide in him. I love that scripture. It feels just, John is having this moment with us. Well, first, we got to stop that for a second. How ironic is it that Jeff and Mark decided to give me, a 23-year-old fresh grad from college, a passage that starts with, children can i just sit in that for a moment because like i've been growing up in this church basically like this is kind of where i came to age as it were and yeah i i love irony and i don't think i could have had a more ironic moment this week so thanks for thanks for bearing with me in that children and jeff did a great job of kind of teeing me up for this last week you know we're all god's children that's true but as i've been kind of studying this text i kind of feel like john is trying to have this kind of moment with the family of God. And this is kind of how I've pictured it. Like, let's say you're at Thanksgiving dinner, or you're, it's during the holidays, your family's around, you're enjoying time together, you're eating, you're laughing, um, just enjoying your family's presence. Maybe you haven't seen them all year, and this is kind of the time you get to hunker down as a family and just enjoy the holidays. But there's like kind of a lull in the excitement, right? Like everyone's conversations and chit-chat has kind of died down a little bit. And then like grandma or grandpa starts to speak, and everyone kind of like, whoosh, like zooms in on what grandma, what, what does grandma, what does grandpa have to say as they're kind of addressing the family, everyone's leaning in. And John is doing something very similar here. Like not only can he call us children because he's like super old when he's writing this, right? Like older than Jeff Dodge, which we're like, how is that possible? I had to say it, he's not here. Okay, but he's trying to get our attention in the most gentle way, right? Children, don't forget that this is the last hour. Well, what does that mean, right? What is the last hour? John wrote actually like a whole book on what the last hour looks like. Uh, It's called Revelation. Uh, I'll save your interpretation for that at another time. All I'm going to say is right here in 2020, today, July 5th, we're closer towards the end of the story of the Bible than we are the beginning, right? We've, got, we've read through the Old Testament. We've seen these, these prophets, these laws, and they're all telling someone about a Savior. We've seen the Savior, Jesus Christ, right? And then we've read the New Testament that talks all about him. And then this last book, Revelation, is about how it's all going to end. And we're closer to that part of the Bible than we are the beginning. And so it's the last hour. But this is what we need to look out for. John is warning us about something here in this passage. It's the last hour, so what? So watch out for something. What's that something? The Antichrist. 
not only just the Antichrist, but in fact, there's actually many Antichrists that have come. And the interpretations of Antichrist, you know, there's a lot of them. Like, is there kind of like one singular Antichrist that's going to, like, Jesus is going to smack down at the end of the story? Um, Are there kind of many figures of Antichrist that we see in history? I'm not going to act like I know the answer to that. But in light of this text, here's what I think John is trying to get at here. These Antichrists are people or they're churches that seem to have like a moment of conversion They seem to have like consistent attendance at church. They seem to have a godly lifestyle, but they've gone off course. Like they started in truth, but they've ended in lies. Like they live their lives and they maybe even slap Jesus onto their lifestyle. Maybe they um, don't even. But what, what happens is that their lifestyle doesn't actually match up with Jesus. And John is saying that kind of person or that kind of entity is that of Antichrist. Does that make sense? Like Antichrist, like against Christ is like the Latin for it. So anything that's like against Christ, we can kind of regard as Antichrist. And it could be that big figure. It could be any smaller amounts of figures. There's a lot of different ways. But this is what I think John is kind of getting at. John says like it's because these Antichrist, these people, like they've gone away from the body, like being the church, right? They've gone out of the church. And that way we can know they're not the real deal, right? Like you can tell when someone joins the track team and then they quit, they're probably not actually on the track team anymore because they stopped showing up to practice, they stopped doing the workouts, and they're not running the race. John is kind of pointing at something similar to us here where we can tell who's actually genuine in their faith by how long they stick around. John's saying to us, today though, for those of us that are right here in this yard or maybe you're watching on the live stream, whatever, in verse 20, like you've all been anointed by the, ho- the Holy One. You all have knowledge. Like, he's writing to us because we don't know the truth, but he's writing to us because we know it. And that seems, like, weird. Like, why would you tell me something I already know? Like, hey, Veritas, I'm not preaching at you today because you don't know the truth, but because you know the truth. And you know that any lie, no matter how small, it can't be true. That's kind of like what John um, is saying. And this is such an interesting point for us because our name is Veritas Church. Okay, what does Veritas mean? It's, it's Latin for truth. And so if we were like to bring that up to speed with English, because no one speaks Latin anymore, you would say we, we are Truth Church. Truth Church. That's a pretty bold name to have. Um, just, you know, that's, that's so Mark Aaron. just Veritas Church. We are truth. But we need to be able to back that up, guys. What is it about us, about our church name, that lets us be able to say, to put a stake in the ground that says, this is truth? So that leads us to our first question today, you know, to help us answer the question, is Veritas Church a a church we should go to? We have to answer the question, what does Veritas say about truth? What does Veritas say about truth? This is what I found for our website. Um, Veritas's mission statement, it says this. Our mission is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. Okay, that doesn't seem like it has a lot to deal with truth, except for that very last part. It says, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded, right? This is what Veritas says about truth. And I can say this because I've been around long enough to hear Mark say it a thousand times, to hear Jeff say it, you know, almost as much. If you want truth... If you want truth, listen to Jesus. If you want truth, listen to Jesus. Listen to his words, his teachings, 
our truth. Earlier in our church life, when we kind of had a more normal service on Sundays, right, you saw like our little weekly pamphlets, and we saw a little excerpt from the Gospel of John, 1837. Jesus is kind of before Pontius Pilate, and he's saying, I have come to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Here at Veritas, we do nothing less, nothing more than just taking this book and reading it and applying what it says to us. It's really that simple. We read it, we listen to what it says, that's our truth. And it's a truth that's been around for thousands of years. Not just truth, like truth based on relativity, not truth based on culture, not truth saying that what's true for you it may not be true for me and what's true for me may not be true for you. No, we're saying truth is found in God's word, the Bible. That's what Veritas says about truth. And that's all good. I think we're on the right track. We're not claiming to have like any secrets or any like mystic knowledge of, of what Christianity is, right? But we're just trying to stick to what Jesus said. But some of you may be asking, well, why Jesus? Like, who is that guy even? Like many people say, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a, a prophet, a moralist, maybe even like someone that was sent from God himself. So the second question we have to answer as a church is, what does Veritas Church say about Jesus Christ? Okay, if we're going to say that what he says is true... If we're going to believe in what he says, we should probably have an opinion on who he is, right? Like you don't listen to someone that you disagree with and you, don't, you certainly don't apply like what they say to your life. Our perception of Jesus will determine everything about our Christianity, whether or not it is genuine, and our application of how we perceive Jesus will determine whether or not he is trustworthy, right? So what does Veritas say about Jesus. Let me go to um, a verse in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. These notes are just all over the place. Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. The situation is uh, one of his disciples, Thomas, is kind of asking Jesus, hey, where are you going? We actually don't know where this whole, like, Jesus movement is going to end up. Like, how can we know we're on the right track, right? And Jesus replies to him in this really interesting way. Thomas is saying, hey, what is the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. He's saying, I am the way. Not only am I the way, I am the truth. I am the life. So what does that mean for us? Here at Veritas, we say, Jesus' words are true. That's good. But Jesus isn't just saying that his words are true. He's saying that he himself is truth. Not only the truth, but the way and the life. So what does that all mean? Like, what does that mean for us? It's the gospel, right? Like, it's the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the good news about Jesus? Veritas, just give me this opportunity, opportunity, wow, opportunity to share the gospel with you. This is what it is. We were once people who denied Jesus. Okay, in verse 22 of 1 John in our passage today, John even says, who is the liar but he did, who denies that Jesus is the Christ, Right? We denied God and we sinned. We don't need to look very far to see sin in our world, right? And if we're being honest, we can kind of even look into ourselves and we see like the world out there that isn't the way it's like it ought to be. But if we're being honest, we can see that even ourselves, we aren't the way that we ought to be. But what's the good news in that? That just sounds like horrible news for all of us right now. It is. Here's the good news. Jesus is exactly the way he ought to be. Does it make sense? Let me say that again. Jesus is exactly the way he ought to be. 
He's always been the way he ought to be because he's God. And this is what he did. This is what God did. He came to live among us as a human. Like he was born in a trough. He lived a perfect life and he was sentenced to death unjustly on the cross in our place. He took our sin, taking the ways that we, we aren't the way we ought to be, and he, he took that with him as he himself died. But Jesus didn't stay dead, did he? Like three days later, he rose from the grave. Jesus rose, and, and by raising from the grave, he guaranteed us, he promised us that if we follow him, if we love him, and we turn to him and agree that what he says is true, we will receive eternal life with him. That's good news. What does Veritas say about Jesus? He's our only hope. When we look at this book and we apply it to change our lives, it makes us look more like Jesus and it gives us this confidence that like nothing like in death or in life or in anything in creation at all can separate us from God, the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus, right? Again, this is all good, but how do we actually do that? <laughs> like, how do we have this confidence how do, we, how do we actually believe that this gospel is true and, and continue in it? Thankfully, John tells us, so I don't have to tell you. Verse 24, if you drop down, it gives us a hint. John just basically says, abide in Jesus. In this passage, there's like this strong contrast between people that deny Jesus and his like Christship, his Messiah-ness, his deity, and then the people that remain or abide in him. He says there's basically two different kinds of people in the world. There's people that either believe in Jesus and people who don't believe in Jesus, right? But what does abiding even look like? Because the third question that we have for today, is Veritas a church that we should go to, is, is Veritas Church abiding in Christ Jesus? This is a really important question we have to ask ourselves because even if we are a believing truth that is true and we are following Jesus as we ought to follow him, or at least believing that what he says is true, we have to be with him. Like, we can't, we can't just say we're Christians. We have to live it out, right? What does abiding in Jesus look like? It's, like, hard to quantify because there's so much we can do or cannot do um, to figure that out. But this is kind of what uh, I boiled it down to. Yeah. Sorry about that. Okay, found my place in my notes. Great. Some of you may have like this distinct memory of like, yeah, August 14th, 2003, I started following Jesus, right? Others of you, if you're like me, you said, yeah, it took a couple months in the fall of my sophomore year of high school to believe in Jesus. But like, no matter what the, the day is or the days that followed that help you follow Jesus, you... <laughs> I want you to like push past that for a second and think about what it was like to follow Jesus for the first time. Like, was it exciting? Did you enjoy following Jesus? Did you enjoy learning more about him? Like everything about him that you were kind of figuring out as you read the Bible was like interesting to you? Do you remember what it was like to have a relationship with God, your father? Where, like, the Bible was something you read because you actually enjoyed what you were learning, not because you felt like you had to, because that's what Christians do. Like, when you prayed, you realized that now that because you're a child of God, God loves to actually hear you talk to him. You, like, you ran away from your sin because you understood that it clouds your vision 
of the good father that God is, and it actually damages your relationship with that good father that he actually died for you to have with him? Like when you first started following Jesus and you couldn't help but tell your HR rep at Hy-Vee in the middle of your interview the gospel because it was so real to you? That can't just be me, right? (laughs) I hope not. Like you were just so amped to follow Jesus. Everything about him was great. It was wonderful. It, It brought life to you. Veritas, we have to ask that question. Is that true of us today? Is following Jesus today as exciting as it was when we started last fall, five years ago, a decade ago, half a century ago. And that can be kind of a hard pill for us to swallow because for me at times, guys, just like being honest, coming at you as like a 23-year-old, like I've been in spiritual ruts before. Like I wake up and it's like I much, (laughs) like I don't even want to get out of bed, much less read my Bible when I get out of bed, right? Like, praying doesn't bring me, like, this soul satisfaction. And I think it's okay that we have, like, times of spiritual dryness, but it's not okay to have times of spiritual dryness forever. Like, there's, there's a moment where Jesus kind of reawakens our desires for him. He kind of stirs the pot, so to speak, and, and brings us that joy of what it's like to have salvation. So, to kind of help drive home what I'm saying to you today. I have this really mediocre illustration for you. Okay, guys, look, like, look around this parking lot right now. Okay, do you, do you see anything, any, anything interesting? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you if you can't find, like, find out. We planted some trees. Okay, we planted some trees. They're kind of neat. I mean, like, yeah, it's a tree. It's right there. It's pretty good. But it's not really that exciting, right? I mean, it's just a, a few small trees like that we planted in the ground. If you look, there's even some with stakes, like this one over here. Like that one, we actually have to water it like once or twice a week, depending on how hot it is, because it actually hasn't developed a way to sustain itself in that soil yet. So like, not only are they like not that cool, they also require like a ton of work to take care of. Guys, those, these small trees right here, like that's us when we first started following Jesus. Okay. And it's okay to be in that state, right? Like, I hope Veritas is a place that always welcomes, like, small little trees like these. That is not, like, a too big a forest for, to make some room for, like, some new, some new trees to grow up. But let's think about this. What happens to those trees if they stay in the ground and they get water? It's, it's not too hard, right? They grow. That's what trees do. They grow. Okay, that's what trees do. They grow. They stay in the ground. They grow. Now think with me. How much more beautiful will this parking lot be in 20 years? How, how great will it be to like drive up here on a hot summer day and actually park your car under some shade because these trees got big old branches and leaves for you to put your car under so you don't have to worry about like running the AC while you're at church so you can get in your car and not feel like you're baking in an oven? Like in the fall, guys, like when we can look at these big, massive canopies of trees down the, down the road of the years and see like the yellows and the reds and the browns kind of cultivating this like this tapestry of just beauty in our, in our building, like at our, at our property. Like these trees, like they're serving a purpose right now, but the reality is like they'll be serving their purpose much better 20 years down the road, right? But that's only if they stay in the ground and they continue to get water. And the same is with us. Like, this is what remaining in Jesus is. 
he's taken us like dying trees. We didn't have nourishing ground. We didn't have water. And he made us into trees that are alive, but only as long as we stay in the ground. Like we can't cut ourselves out of the ground. We can't cut ourselves off from the water that Jesus is offering us and expect to live. Jeff did a really good job last night at kind of highlighting my age group and saying, yeah, like the young people of Veritas, they're doing all the heavy lifting and, you know, they're strong and they're overcoming evil. And I just want to take this opportunity to actually take the spotlight off of those adolescent trees and put them onto like some of the mature majestic oak trees of Veritas. Like I'm thinking of, of Dave and Abby Clark, if you know them. David, Abby Clark, uh, Chris and Lisa Olson, who have been walking with Jesus for decades. And they aren't even tired of him. Like, they're not any less to f- excited to follow Jesus today than they did 30 years ago when they started following him, or however long it was. Like, they opened this past year, guys, they, they opened their home weekly to international students from all over the world. They fed them every week, and they gave them an opportunity to hear the gospel that they otherwise probably wouldn't have ever heard back in their home countries. I think of the walkers. I think of like Jim and Jolene who continually show up. They're praying, they're fasting, they're reading their Bibles, they're giving wisdom to our church leaders, Jeff and Mark, the the boatmans, Doug and Jean, who even still after retirement, they're leveraging their life. They're using their time and they're discipling college students that are just trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about, right? Like and even even Jeff and Teresa Dodge coming here a couple years ago, like Two massive, massive oak trees of Veritas that that we get to enjoy the benefits of their growth, of their abiding, their remaining in Jesus. Is Veritas Church a church that abides in Jesus? I would argue that many of its people are, and we can see year after year the fruits of their labor. See, following Jesus and abiding in him, it's like becoming a strong tree. You can't do it on your own, but if you sit in the ground and you'll be watered by the life that Jesus has, I promise you guys, you'll grow. Time in your Bible, it doesn't have to be a chore when you realize who wrote it. Prayer doesn't have to be hard when you know who you're talking to. Loving others around us and considering them as more important than ourselves can actually be accomplished when we remember that Jesus has been blazing this trail for us from forever past to forevermore. Veritas, can we continue abiding in Jesus? I love this church. And five years ago, it was so refreshing to have a church that loved college students the way it does and the way that we continue to love college students and the ways that we continue to love the next generation. But guys, that's only possible if we have stronger oak trees around here. Would the 10-year anniversary coming up in our lives not be a time for us to check out as a church, but would it be a time to joyfully remember how far God has already carried us? and give us the courage to continue going forward with confidence that he will continue to carry us if we abide in him. Would you pray with me? Yeah, Father God, um, it's just a joy to be here today. It's a joy to sit under the sunshine that you've given us. Today is the day that you have made that we may rejoice in it. And I just have um, so much joy being able to bring the word in whatever small capacity I can. God, and just being a vessel for you to work in this place. God, I love this church. I love the ways that you have made everything new and exciting for me being a Christian. 
God, that you continue to bring people to you, God, and that there's, there's so many just small trees like in our parking lot just sprouting up in faith in you. Um, but God, I just want to thank you for the people that have dedicated years and years and years and decades and decades and decades to you. God, that on, on their foundation of Jesus Christ, we get to stand a little taller and that we get to enjoy the benefits that they have from following you for so long in their lives. Would you make us a people that in 50 years would continue loving you and have more oak trees, but also have so much more room for adolescent trees? It's in your name we pray.